behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, what a say. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is Come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So today we're moving into Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 21. And what we really want to do is get the big picture here. And I haven't quite decided if we're going to do a deep dive into the details, because this is one of the most challenging and debated passages in all of the New Testament. And it's just loaded with words that are fraught with all types of interpretive peril. And I haven't decided if I have have it in me, if I have what it takes to really dive in to these passages and work through them like I think they deserve to be worked through, or if we'll just pull back and focus on the big picture. But we've got some time to decide that. But for now, take a moment and read verses 11 through 21. And as you do, you have to remember that this is one literary unit. It's one block. And you have Paul's clash with Peter. And then you have kind of what Paul says to Peter. What he accuses him of begins in, in verse 14. And there's this 
So read through. And as you do, I want you to notice the back and forth between the we and the I. Who is the we that Paul is talking about? And then, of course, who's the I? Well, the I is him. But notice, we ourselves are Jews, yet we know. So we have believed. We too were found. All this we language. And then in verse 18, there's this shift to I. If I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself. I died. I might live. I have been crucified. I who live, not Christ. I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. All this I, I. So there's this dramatic shift from the we to the I. Now, take a moment and think about that. Who is the we? And then why the shift to the I? Why does it get so personal? And then another thing to think about is, what is the big deal? Why is Paul making such a big deal about who Peter eats with? I mean, really, who cares who you eat with? Like, does it really matter who he's sitting at the lunch table with? Why is this so important? And what we'll see is it's so important because it forces Paul to our articulate aspects of the gospel that he probably never had thought about until then. Same with Peter. Forces him to articulate realities of the gospel in a whole new way. And in this section, there's so many details that are left unsaid. You know, why was Peter there? Why was he followed by certain people from James? Who were they? You read the first part of chapter two, and it's all this language that comes like straight from a spy novel, that these Enemies infiltrated our ranks to sneak in and spy out. And you have all these juicy questions that are just left unanswered. But for Paul, the only thing that matters is that Peter was in the habit of eating with non-Jews, and then he drew back. And we don't know what the occasion was for the table fellowship, but we see here Paul's challenge to Peter, his accusation of Peter, and it's one that is very serious. He accuses him of hypocrisy. He's accusing him of pressuring the Gentile converts to adopt a way of life that he himself doesn't even hold to fully. And before we're too hard on Peter, we need to recognize how easy it is for us to do the same thing. Every person in ministry has to wrestle with that reality, that we teach and seek to put on people a reality of a way of life that we don't even adopt. Every parent understands that reality as they often instruct their children to behaviors and live in a way that they struggle with themselves. You know, it's like that classic counseling line that you need to give yourself the very advice that you give to other people. Often we can see other people's problems very clearly and we can give them good advice on what they should do. But then when it turns to giving ourselves the very same advice, we have a hard time adopting it. And so that's what Paul accuses Peter of doing. So what Paul is objecting to is the requirement that the Gentiles adopt specifically Jewish norm. And this is so radical, and this is so needed for our day. Because what's happened to Paul is something other than his ethnic identity has become the decisive factor in how he views life. So Paul frames in the most dramatic way possible this battle between our cultural traditions and the truth of the gospel. He's forcing on Peter to face the reality of what is supremely determinative for his understanding of his identity. What's the primary standard for behavior, for viewing the world? He's making him wrestle with the reality or the question of what are you first and foremost? Are you Jewish first and Christian second or Christian first and then Jewish second? 
And that's something we all have to wrestle with. What are you first and foremost? Are you American first and then Christian second? Or Christian first and American second? Are you white first, Christian second? Black first, Christian second? Brown first, Christian second? What is the primary defining mark of your identity? And for both Peter and Paul, they don't cease to be Jewish, but now there's a higher allegiance. And if those two allegiances come into conflict, they have to choose their allegiance to Christ. And Peter, this is a shocking thing, Peter didn't even realize that he was not walking in line with the gospel until he got around people who are very different from him. And that's the reality. We often don't even realize when we're not walking in line with the gospel until we get around people who are so different from us. That's one of the beautiful gifts of community. Because we need people to reveal these things to us and about us. So why is this so important? Because if they can't eat together, then there's no way they can, quote unquote, do life together. They can't bear one another's burdens. They can't be who they're called to be. They can't be the church. And so this is a profound passage, an explosive passage. But what I want you to do today is read through 15 through 21 and take a moment and everywhere you see we, think about who that is talking about, and then everywhere where you see I, insert your name and see how it sounds to you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. 